Gives that a Pluger, who flies through the air and dunks it with the two-handed jam. Off the glass, August. No, Tim. Rex just described the feeling of tipping in the game-winning basket in an NCAA game. Did you ever think your first bucket, Rex, would be uh, to send you guys to the Sweet 16 like that? Pretty good timing. Uh, can't really explain it because it still hasn't hit me. Yeah, I didn't expect that, to be honest. I just crashed the board. It was nice to get this one. Woo, it's that time of the year, man, March Madness. So I didn't bring a hockey player in for this episode. I got someone who played in March Madness and happens to be a March Madness legend in his own right. Welcome to your favorite podcaster's favorite podcast. I take your favorite athletes and I make them talk about their business endeavors and things they're doing off the court, the field, the arena. It was great getting to talk to Rex, man. Rex Pfluger got it done at all levels, including Notre Dame and spending a year professionally overseas. My guy Rex is now back in Orange County and he's on a different team. Rex is now helping Pintar Investment Company manage over $2 billion in real estate investments, including private homes and commercial assets. We discussed many things, including the build to rent home model that's becoming a hot trend in America as well as our March Madness picks. Well, I'm not exactly glad that we recorded the March Madness picks. My name's Noah Lack, and welcome to Athletes and Assets. Rex, my man, let's skip the small talk. Notre Dame getting into the NCAA tournament by a split hair, man, at 22-10. and 10. What's your Joe Lunardi reasoning for them getting into the tournament? <laughs> Well, first of all, I think we should have got in no matter what. Anytime you finish top two, I don't care if you're tied for a second in the ACC, if you're not getting the NCAA easily, there's something wrong with America or wrong with American <laughs> basketball at the current moment. But completely understandable. ACC was a little bit down this year, as most people said. But I feel like the Irish has just been playing solid basketball ever since after that little little rough start that they had in the beginning, at, especially after Maui Invitational. But once we got that win against Kentucky – and then we just kind of went on a little rampage through the ACC, like the like the people were saying. I think we, we're more than deserving to be able to be in this tournament. I think we should be in there, and people should be watching out for us to make some make some strides in this tournament too. You know, I it's it's hard to uh, it's hard to pick against the ACC team, especially if they're like a lower seed. It always spells runs, so we'll not discount Notre Dame. Uh, in the tournament and uh also i hope my my former teammate my boy trey Wirtz, shout out trey you know hope he makes some noise in in the tournament uh but thank you so much again for joining me man uh i know this is on pretty short notice you know really excited to, to hear what you're up to these days um and you know staying on that ncaa topic it is pretty relevant now by the time this podcast airs we will be done with the round of 64 and round of 32 but sort of give me your your overall predictions, and what do you think? Uh, by this time, we're going to be gearing up for like the Sweet 16. What are you looking for in this tournament? Who do you think is going to make some noise? And uh, you know, maybe a Cinderella pick out of you. What, what, who do you think uh, we should be looking out for as under the radar? Yeah, you know, like most March Madness tournaments, like I was even having my coworkers talk to me today about helping them fill out their brackets, and I told them even with all my college basketball and basketball knowledge, man, you'll probably have a better <laughs> yeah. chance of just throwing darts out different teams that you're going to choose man there's there's realistically no true science except for when you get up to the ones and two seeds and even then in the round of 64 you've seen teams lose like virginia and i can't i know there's been a couple others in the past few years that i've lost to the high seed so it's when you're really looking at these teams you just got to kind of see what runs they've been having leading up to the tournament whether it's in the conference tournament or at the end of their season and how have they been playing? How have they been meshing? How they've been gelling? Because it's really important that you really just have that momentum because when it comes to March Madness, anyone can win. 
And for Cinderella stories, I don't like saying this team as a Cinderella story, but I will. But kind of biased, Notre Dame. As oh you can my! Tell. Uh, yeah, for sure. I, I, I just, I just. <laughs> oh my We are gosh. a low seed, so we do count as a Cinderella story. And we have that playing game against Rutgers. I think that would be great for us to get. Obviously, we need that win. But after we get that win, it's going to be a great booster moving on, as shown against our loss to Virginia Tech. Because Virginia Tech had a couple games to warm up, you know. Obviously, yeah, they, yeah. they were playing amazing basketball. But that's my that's my mindset going into it. It's, you know, those playing games, even though it it kind of sucks being in that position that you actually have to play to get into the tournament. But you really get to get your legs loose. You kind of get a feel for March Madness before the other sixty four teams that get into it. So especially having notable teams in those playing games, people should be very worried about them, especially coming out of that going into that first round. Right now, a lot of people are saying Arizona. A lot of people are saying Gonzaga is going to lose again in the championship. But if I could give you a definite pick who I think is going to win, I would say I have no effing idea. (laughs) First of all, very creative answer there with the Cinderella team. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rutgers is no, uh, they're not going to be an easy out. They, uh, I think they could also make some noise just because they've, they like they like they're one of those teams who love being the underdog. But no, I love the uh, you know I tell people and I think this is like general knowledge. I feel like the more you know, the really less we should rely on you because it's just so much parody uh, in March Madness. Here's my theory. I'll give a quick March Madness theory. Well, this is probably the only episode we'll talk. I'll talk about March Madness. So maybe throw my two cents in there. First of all. Nothing is safe up into the, the, the one seed. So, like, even the two seed, like, there, you, you, might, you might need to choose one in your bracket to lose because it happens all the time. Second of all, West Coast, in terms of winning the championship, like, in, like I love the West Coast teams. Um, you know, you ha- and spe- we were talking about Arizona, uh, Gonzaga. I think one of them is going to make the Final Four. Which one? I'm not quite sure. I'm going to have a WCC bias and lean towards uh, Gonzaga. Uh, sorry, Christian, uh, Coloco, my bad, bro. But, um, I, uh, will say that I just think when we just looking at history, I'm going to go with one West coast team in the final four. That's Gonzaga. Um, and then my pick to win it all is Tennessee. And I don't know why they've been hot. They've been hot. Um, but I'm going to go with Tennessee. When you play against little guards, like tiny guards, it goes one of two ways. You absolutely like obliterate them or they are pests and it is impossible to bring the ball up 94 feet get into an offense and Tennessee's guards like Kennedy Chandler and uh, I think Zakai Ziegler is his name those those guards will get up in your skin all game and in March I feel like that's just just have a creation so that's that's my two cents there no no I honestly don't want to counter that at all because I understand the pestiness of a smaller guard especially when I grew up playing in Los Angeles most of my AAU days yeah I felt like every single team I played against had at least two or three of those guys that were full court pressing you know the beginning of the game they don't want you to handle the ball no one knows how to come set up a pickup like in the backcourt so you're just or the frontcourt so you're all by yourself and then it just gets so annoying because they can just create such momentum shifts in games by getting that one little steal. Maybe you're down by 12 or something. And then these guards are just picking you up three, four courts. And then all of a sudden they get a steal, easy bucket. And then all of a sudden that momentum changes to their side. They can bring them right back into the game. And, was, and you see that all the time, honestly. People like, like you, 
uh, and myself and people that understand the game of basketball, it's not just about how much you're up or how well you're scoring because the, the, the tide of a game can be shifted by just one play. You just never know what's going to happen and small guards like that. So I like that pick with Tennessee. You know, I can see them doing some big things in, in this tournament. Thanks for weighing in on that. I think uh, that the tournament's the best time of the year, man. Uh, there's nothing like some good old March Madness. Um, and so I, I wanted to, to ask you, I, I'm generally curious about the alumni presence at Notre Dame. You had uh, a nice career at Notre Dame. I believe you were there five years. A lot of people know the basketball side of things. We watch ESPN. You know, you can track your stats. But I'm genuinely curious on how Notre Dame's alumni sort of helped their player, the players out throughout your career there. Because I think what's really important to an athlete uh, when they start to transition or get to know something outside of their sport is maybe a conversation with an alum um, or someone who is around the program who can show you something different because of that access. And so I'm just curious, like people are crazy about Notre Dame, like Notre Dame football, the the NBC TV deal, like that shit pisses me off all the time. I'm like, (laughs) why do they get that? But Notre Dame, there's a different sort of like love and appreciation for the school. So I guess, can you just talk about that and like, you know what, what what you what you saw during your time there yeah the alumni base is honestly one of the main reasons i chose the university just not just because of where they are in their careers but the type of people that they are and that runs top down as well throughout all notre dame people whether they're alumni people that are just fans of it students family of students everybody kind of held holds this very wholesome idea about themselves when people talk about midwestern hospitality people talk about southern hospitality i like to talk yeah. about midwestern hospitality mm-hmm. because those people out there are some of the kindest human beings i'm from southern orange county where sometimes you can run into some fake people here and there yeah but when but when you're out in <laughs> south know. bend but when you're in south bend you just get exactly what they're portraying they're just genuine nice people so when it comes to the alumni network it's exactly the same the the people are always reaching out uh, the one thing that I could advise people to that are at any level of education, regardless, even I would say middle school, but high school, college, grad school, whatever it is, make sure that you shake as many hands as you can and really hold those conversations and those relationships tight to you and make sure that you're checking up, checking up on them, not just because there's a chance that maybe further down the road, they can help you with something, whether it's a job or some advice. But realistically, these are just good people that are there for you and you just want to surround yourself with those type of people. So I've had a lot of a lot of alumni that's helped me out during my time. And a cool thing that Notre Dame kind of does, especially in, the, in our basketball program, is that they try to almost get you to act as alumni while you're there because mm, they want you to teach those students that are below you and kind of get that knowledge beforehand that you're acting as an adult. Because when you're in college, sometimes you can get lost in that mix of like, I'm not an adult. I'm still a kid. I'm still trying to learn every single day. But in the basketball program, our coach, Coach Bray, Mike Bray, it always emphasizes that we wanted team leadership. So we're always trying to reach out to the younger guys, trying to uplift them, trying to make them the leaders. And honestly, that's, I agree with him 100% that the best way to, to be a leader is by teaching the people that you're helping lead become leaders themselves. And that's kind of what our alumni base does as well. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. I like that answer a lot. I think um, I'm from Houston. I'm from Texas originally. So I uh, I know all about the ho- Southern hospitality. But I think what makes like Notre Dame different than uh, SEC school or a regional school in the South with a huge alumni base, like a UT or maybe an LSU, Notre Dame, the, the alumni is, I've noticed it's global. I mean, there's alums everywhere in every industry. Uh, which is kind of crazy from a school in in Indiana. Now it is a private school, 
but it's it's still like pretty interesting because I you know I, I have coworkers uh, that went to Notre Dame and I'm like how did the heck did you end up in California? So I, I think it's I think it's really cool with the, the global outreach of of the university. Mm-hmm. They do a great. That's another thing too that's nice is that we have a big Notre Dame club out here in Southern California as well. We stay connected out here, and then like you said, kind of everywhere, especially in the country. Uh, if you're looking to move locations, you're probably going to have somebody in the pretty good industry there as well that you can outreach as well. And you just got to make sure you say go Irish at the end and hopefully they'll respond to you. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I actually was, I was hanging out with a buddy in Manhattan Beach uh, in 2020 and it was, I think they were still playing football. Um, I don't know what, what was going on with the, the COVID dynamics at that point, but the, even Southern California, the bars were packed with Irish fans. I remember that. Like, uh, I was like, wow. Damn, this is a strong fan and alumni base. And so can you, what, what is your favorite memory from there? You know, off the court, on the court, you know, what's, what was like something that really sticks with you today? Oh, that's a tough one. I've, I definitely did my best to try to experience as much as I can at Notre Dame, everything that I had to offer. But when it comes back to my favorite memory, it's, it's usually just the simple memories. It's the ones that you don't expect to feel something during that, that certain moment. And honestly, I have to say, this is even before I attended the university at my official visit. Uh, I went out there for the Michigan versus Notre Dame game when we whooped their ass by 30, which was amazing, first of all, before I was even committed to Notre Dame. But I just remember walking into the stadium and all these people, obviously you're on a recruiting visit, they see who you're with, you're with some of the basketball coaches, with some of the players, but just how genuine all these people were that would come up to it come up to the group that I was with uh, in our recruiting visit and just like hoping that we had a good time. And then just hearing stories from other people just about their interactions with people. Like you just said, for like seeing these Notre Dame giant fan bases all the way on the other side of the country, just aggregating together to support the same institution, which is just, it's ridiculous, but we're also <laughs> it is <a> very, ridiculous. <laughs> but like, like, I feel like I get this from a lot of fans that are not fans of Notre Dame, when they ever have their interactions with people from Notre Dame, they always say they're the most gracious, cordial human beings. It's we, And that's exactly how I feel. And I think everyone in that school does. So it's just having that memory of everybody just being like genuine to each other, but also knowing that we're pretty badass at sports and what we do off the court or the field. For sure. And while you're at school, did you know what you're interested in business-wise while you were at Notre Dame? Or were you still, you know, on this track of like pro hoops, uh, for the you know for the next ten years after I graduate, uh, what what kind of piqued your interest into like what you're doing now? But like, did it start at Notre Dame? To be honest, uh, I I had no idea what I wanted to go into, especially when I was graduating because I did five years at Notre Dame. I uh, got my marketing undergrad degree, but then I got my MBA my fifth year, which kind of started showing me to a bunch of other different realms of business and different industries, and kind of actually getting into the grassroots levels of things so you could better understand and see where you want to go from that. But when, when I, I really didn't think about going into business right away after, after school, ended up playing overseas one year, but then I just listened to my body and my heart and realized that it wasn't, both of them were not into it anymore, as you can say, especially for the body part. And so I, I decided for myself, that I wanted to retire and start using those degrees and put it to somewhere where I can start building myself as a business professional. But my brother was in real estate, so he had some connections in that realm. I knew some people out here uh, via some family members, but I reached out using Notre Dame connections as well to kind of see what type of industry I wanted to get into. But I, right now I'm working as an acquisitions analyst right now at a 
real estate investment firm called Pintar Investment Company down in San Juan Capistrano, which I love doing right now. But it wasn't exactly what I set out to go and do. But a piece sure. of advice, as you can understand, especially being in your position as well, is that when you get into the working world coming from from being an athlete, it's really about getting that first job, that first taste of what you're doing to kind of understand what is the process like? What is it like to be working seven to five? What is it like to actually do these little monotonous tasks working in an office and kind of get a grasp of what that lifestyle really is like? And I feel like I've been doing that now. I'm like five, I think, five or six months now into my job. And just my overall awareness of corporate life has completely changed. And who's to say I love real estate right now, so that's my future, but you never know what's going to happen. But being able to be a student athlete or a former athlete and just putting yourself out there, getting that first position and learning how to work in this type of lifestyle is really important. So that's some two cents right there for everyone. That's a, that's a fantastic segue because uh, let's talk about it. Let's talk about Pintar Investment Company. Uh, Pintar Investment Company, um, from what my understanding, specializes in, in the management, acquisition, deposition, development, and redevelopment of residential and commercial projects. I just read that off. That wasn't obviously, that wasn't at the top of the head. So that is what I got off Google. Um, I understand what that means reading it, but why don't you sort of explain what you guys do in simple terms and um, you know how you fit into the mix. Yeah, so we're basically a vertically integrated real estate company where we work at, well, we can work as general partners or limited partners, but we usually take on the operating partner standpoint where we take outside capital, whether it's from JV sources, working with institutions, or getting private capital from family and friends. And right now, the the type of, yes, we're in real estate, but the segments that we are in real estate is primarily uh, the rental aspect. So multifamilies, like apartment complexes but also new new products like BTRs, which is built to rent, which are full-scale communities, whether they're detached or attached homes that are developed for the purpose of renting out, which has been a hot topic. But then also single-family rentals, which is uh, just basically homes that you buy, you aggregate a portfolio of them, and then you rent them out. And right now, it seems to be the hottest thing in, in the country right now. Everyone's looking to rent. So right now, we're just over going throughout all the hottest markets in the Sun Belt. So we're not, yes, our office is located in Southern Orange County, but we work everywhere from Northern California, Nevada, Arizona, Southern California, Texas, Georgia, the Carolinas, Florida, kind of going to those markets, finding these homes, um, putting some money into them. Sometimes we flip, uh, we also have a fix and flip model as well that we do up in Los Angeles. That's kind of like a separate part of our business as well. But primarily we're in an acquisition phase right now, trying to get, build up these portfolios the, to help generate as much revenue as you can for these investors, but I know that it wasn't as simple as layman terms, but no, I no, it's all good. Only way I know how to say it. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 it's all good. No, it's all good. So basically, you have the company. You're fundraising from outside sources. We in venture capital we call it limited partners. Um, our LPs comes in all come. You know, LPs can come in different shapes and sizes. You take that money, you invest it in a property, whether you renovate the property or you purchase it and then people rent it and you get residual income off that is probably different decisions with, with with different properties that you guys make. And then the returns, you distribute it back to your investors and then obviously you probably keep, I don't know what the, how you call it in your terms, but a management fee mm-hmm. or exactly. you know, distributions and, and keep keep for yourself. Um is that sort of is that sort of the similar structure? Yeah, no, that is that's that's exactly right. Yeah, we basically get a bunch of fees off of these certain acquisitions and dispositions, 
but realistically we also have our in-house property management company as well that also collects those fees by working and managing those properties but that's why we're always putting our hands into different markets too because we're just trying to build up as much as we can and it's cool because even though our company is about 10 years old this is kind of the the primary or the biggest acquisition phase that we've ever had given the outsource or the insourcing of capital that we've been able to get in the past year. And so uh, we're out there just buying, 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 just like the, the rest of the real estate world right now. Yeah. Can we talk about, can we talk about that? The, you, the hottest thing going around, you said, and I've heard this too, is built to rent, right? It sounds to me just on the surface, a, like a long, more long-term Airbnb sort of like structure of a, of a of a business plan where you're you're getting a house your people are running it for the long term not just like a day or a week but you're you're purchasing homes to where you know people you're running it out to people and becoming partial landlords in, in different parts of the country um do you have a sort of a like a pulse on that sort of market and and why has that become so popular all of a sudden i think right now especially people getting into renting more is because obviously how high home prices are right now and then everyone's looking to aggregate as much properties as they can because of the appreciation going on right now. And if you were to ask me, when is the downturn in all of that? I will say I have no freaking idea. Fair. <laughs> just, like, Fair. Like most of the, just like the rest of the industry, it's just like the stock market. You kind of just got to go with what it gives you. Sure. And so, we're, but right now the market's hot. So everyone's trying to get into it. And build to rent's the new thing where you can just have a consolidated amount of homes in a certain area. And then you can have certain amenities associated with it. So it's basically giving people like the in-home, owning a home lifestyle, along with just renting and not having all the liability of getting a mortgage or a loan or whatever you need to pay off that house, especially for younger families, the people that are looking to save up money into purchasing a house. This is a good avenue for them, especially if they have a family already to get that in-home experience before they make that big purchase moving forward. Oh, for sure. It's like a, it's like a test it could be a test run for a family because of the pandemic and how we are a lot of people are remote work now and people uh, don't need to be in one central location. You think that's also a reason why people like want to move around and um, stay in different places. I mean, I see that's like, that's like the trendy thing here in like San Francisco, especially for more established people in tech and in VC, because you know, a lot of these tech jobs are remote now. So, you know, entrepreneurs and, and tech workers can move around um are you seeing that uh, in the rest of the country as well maybe in the Sun Belt? no yeah definitely people are moving down south i think people are starting to realize that they can work remotely they want to work somewhere where they're they're comfortable and happy more so so if you're working somewhere up in the northeast in the middle of winter and you're just freezing your balls off or whatever parts that you want to say that you have and you're just like i'm kind of tired of this but now you have the opportunity to work from home but People are thinking, why would I work from home in three feet of snow when I can move down to Jupiter, Florida for a certain period of time for a year to work remotely there where I can do the exact same work I'm doing here, but at least be in the sunshine or have, be out by the pool while, while they're working. And people are just starting to get more and more creative, especially with the world changing the way it is constantly from year to year. Now, it seems like there's a global crisis every single year now, and nobody knows what the near future looks like. So everyone's kind of looking to take different risks, try different things, and having the opportunity to go out to a place randomly that's out of your comfort zone is very up in the air now for a lot of people. People are deciding to take those risks and having these opportunities to find these homes and live there. It's, like, it's part of what we do. Hypothetical situation for you. Jeff Pintar's like, Rex, I need you to go to Jackson, Mississippi and find some things, find some potential homes that we could purchase and rent out. So... 
Rex goes to Jackson, Mississippi. You're like, where the hell am I? You're, you're, you're in the suburbs or wherever. What are you specifically looking for in a target home to acquire? What are some of the, what are some of the criteria for you guys uh, in a potential good investment opportunity? Uh, realistically, we don't, unless it's, it's somewhere near us in uh, Orange County, California, wherever it is, we won't travel there unless we get some type of offering, offering memorandum from certain companies. Unless we're 100% certain, our first process is underwriting the homes. So okay. when you ask about where we get the homes, we get them from other people. So okay. usually, because everybody right now, they know we're trying to buy, so everyone's looking to sell. So going back to the idea of networking and relationships, that's what's so important. Jeff Pentar, my CEO and founder, he's, he's one of the biggest guys in the relationship game. So he's been teaching us all about that idea. And how you got to make, well, he's just an amazing human being by itself, but people love to do business with him, not just because of how friendly he is and loving he is, but also because of how good he is at his job and be able to perform under pressure, perform under certain circumstances and be able to get ultimately what the investors need, which is their capital back (laughs) with interest on top, obviously. A big buzzword that that you guys use is um, opportunity zone investment trends. What does that mean in simple terms? I think this is something that a lot of people want to get interested in, in investing in real estate on the side, which I actually learned through my last episode. Uh, but can you want to explain what that means in, in simple terms and, and um, maybe give some advice? Like if I'm interested in, if I have enough capital in my, my personal income where I want to invest in real estate, you know, where's a good, do you know a good spot for me to get started? Well, I know this cool company called Pintar Investment Company. If you want to invest some money, okay. <laughs> self promotion plug. But uh, yeah, no, no, it's okay. I, 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 that was the, that was the, like, note without. I didn't intend to throw such a oop like that. I'm sorry. You know I, I had mean? to catch like, it. I had to catch it. Yeah, but, catch uh, it and finish it. <laughs> but I would say, well, the opportunity zones is basically a tax benefit opportunity for people that want to invest in real estate, where in different parts of the country, they'll be labeled as opportunity zones, where if you invest your money into a certain property or land piece and you hold it for 10 years, you actually reduce the amount of taxes basically to zero after those 10 years. So for people that were looking to invest long-term holds, then OZs or, or opportunity zones are really good for people to look into that. But it's not for people that are looking for liquidity. It's especially if you're trying to just invest and get a quick return. Don't look at opportunity zones. There's different ways to do it. But I've, I learned from my father, who's a great investor. He was actually an engineer, medical device engineer, but he loved, he primarily and only does investing now. And he truly believes in long-term holds, especially for tax benefits. But also, you just can't. You people get too quick to pull the trigger on a lot of a lot of their investments where they don't actually keep the money in there to see the realized gains because they either get too scared or they get too excited about the uptrend or the downtrend that you all of a sudden they're just like you might have just lost out on a bunch of money just whether it's saving in taxes or just because you pulled it out too early. So the best advice that he ever gave me is that invest what you don't have to worry about the next day. And the next day obviously means the next few years, but making sure that you're putting the money away and just allowing it to grow, whether it's interest or appreciation or whatever it may be. And real estate is one of the best best investments for that. It's one of the most secure, especially with the products being tangible. There's like when you, when you buy an F- NFT, if you lose internet service or lose your phone, that NFT is gone. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I'm, 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 not, I'm not pooping on NFTs. Like I think yeah. there, there's a market for that. But when it comes down to the basis of it, if everything goes down and you own a home, you have a place to place to live. 
Yeah, no, for sure. First of all, invest in uh, invest through Pintar Real Estate, and then they come out with a token. The NFT is the bonus, <laughs> right? Exactly. Uh, thanks for uh, breaking that down. Really hard pivot here. Is there an athlete that you admire for obviously athletic endeavors that would be interesting to hear about what they're doing in the business world? Uh, the one person I always looked up to is Kobe Bryant. He was the one guy that, especially with those outside endeavors, he did it not just because it was something that he saw financial gain in, but because he was passionate in. I remember, I forgot what exactly what company he was starting. It might have been a venture capital firm, but it was that. But then he also got into storytelling. He got into writing books. And as an entrepreneur, where you have the money to be able to kind of go and do whatever you want, it's amazing to see these athletes not or especially seeing Kobe, like not take the easy way out and challenge himself. And also at the same time, do something that is really opening to a lot of people and making himself vulnerable by putting out his words for people to read and judge him based off of. So I've always admired him. And then my one of my favorite athletes of all time, Tom Brady. I'm just curious. Obviously, he has this TB12 stuff going on and all these other kind of modeling shoe deals, whatever he's doing. But I feel like he's got more going on behind the curtain, so I'd love to see what he's doing. For sure. I'm very interested to see what, what uh, the TB12 thing, uh, media group is going on because these social media videos of Tom Brady are incredible. Um, they put a lot of time into that. Um, so that, no, that's, those, are two, those are two greats. All right, Rex, we're towards the end of the episode, man. Uh, this has been great. Let's talk about your playlist, man. What are you jamming to? What can you put us on? Let's see, let's see. I like to say that I have a diversified taste because whenever ever anyone asks Love me what's it. my favorite type of music, I just say good music. So it doesn't matter what yeah. genre it's in, as long as it has a good melody to it, it has maybe some meaningful words to it, whatever it may be. But the most important thing is that it sounds nice. So For right sure. now, the things that I have most on replay is Escape by KX5, which is a new... Uh, collaboration between dead mouse and cascade which just which, came what out genre of music it's uh kind of like i want to say tropical trance a little bit i don't know if people are going to understand what the terminology is but Still basically we'll see yeah yeah very very melodic very calm cool no yeah. hard drops just just nice smooth good rhythm and great vocals I would say, let's see, Sunglasses. I don't know if this is an old song or a new song or because I'm from California and it's getting really nice out. But Sunglasses by Sagan and Sam Russell. Right now, it's just been hitting different on my drives to work. Okay. Uh, I love the song. Oh, yeah, the new Odessa song that came out a couple weeks ago called The Last Goodbye, which has just been on repeat for me. Let's see. Oh, wait, no, I don't want to say that. I'll, I'll give something some more stuff that's probably a little bit more mainstream if I actually I don't think anything I listen to is mainstream to be completely honest but <laughs> let's see okay one rap song that I'm constantly listening to right now is kind of a popular one uh, Knife Talk by Drake and 21 yeah. Savage always love that especially with you it's kind of old but it's just it gets me going when I'm in the gym or at work but I'm trying to do comps <laughs> no for sure for sure no, that's great, man. It's I, I like the uh, I like the non-mainstream playlist. Um, you know, I had in season one. I had Steve Shul used to be a linebacker for the Miami Dolphins, and instead of a playlist, he said, "Scratch the playlist. I need you to. I'm going to send you links of the voice." And there was like a rendition of this girl giving a beautiful like opera sort of like like rendition on the voice, and like that's what he like loves listening to. Total hit, like. 
uh, yeah, totally off the beaten path, but uh, those are always kind of the best playlists. So episode five of season two, Rex, thank you so much for joining me, my man. I appreciate you, Noah. Hope to be on it. Maybe in the future, we can talk a little bit more business once your podcast starts to blow up some more. Man, absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt.